Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. where we find the dignity of our reality as image bearers with something to give. That work as worship is an opportunity to love our neighbors through the life and work we choose. And then last week, in week two, we talked about not being that Christian at work. We talked about choosing patience over preachiness, authenticity over perfection, humility, not self-centeredness, and justice instead of indifference. And this week, we're shifting gears just slightly to talk about rest. Now, we often think of work and rest as being mutually exclusive. You can either work or you can rest. And let's be honest, oftentimes, the the word rest feels more like this idealistic dream than a possible reality. But my Jesus is known for preaching an upside-down kingdom. And so I've got to wonder if he has something to say about this area of work and rest. What if it's possible to work and live from a place of rest? Now, especially after a weekend like we've had, I don't have to tell you things are pretty divisive out there, right? But I think there's one area we can all agree on. We are bone tired. We were tired two and a half years ago, living at this nonstop pace. Then COVID brings it all to a halt. For two years, things feel completely turned upside down. And now, as we move into this reopening phase of the pandemic, there's an enormous amount of pressure to simply get back to quote-unquote normal life. It's back to the office, back to travel, back to the hundreds of kids' activities. And with it comes back to living at a non-stop pace. But there's a big problem with that because we're drained. Have you noticed that you can't do things the way you used to prior to 2020? Maybe you've experienced more brain fog, forgetfulness, feeling irritable, low patience, and even for us extroverts, being around too many people for too long just feels really overwhelming. Is that just me? Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) It's because it took all we had to make it through the global trauma of the last two years, not to mention all of the social unrest in between, and we don't have anything left to give. And I don't know if it's more of a comfort to know that we're not alone or worrisome that we're all in the same boat, because I keep seeing studies and articles about the state of our mental health, complete depletion, high levels of burnout, and it just seems to be a universal experience right now. I recently came across a book titled, Tired as, fill in the four-letter word. (laughs) In the description, 
the, it states that the author examines how treating ourselves like a never-ending self-improvement project is a recipe for burnout. We have become unknowingly complicit in perpetuating our own exhaustion because we're treating ourselves like machines. Now, I didn't read this book, so I don't know what all solutions this author has to offer, but I can see why that title and description resonates. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who want to live the Jesus way of life, shouldn't we have some kind of better solution? You know, over the last two weeks, Justin reminded us that our lives should demand an explanation and not attention. But if I'm being honest, I look around the church and I see the majority of us on the same hamster wheel as the rest of the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm just not satisfied with that. And I don't think we have to be. You see, God created rest. And he didn't create it as a backup plan for when we run ourselves ragged so we can step off for a second, take a breather, and then hop back on. Rest was part of initial creation before the fall, just like work was, and was meant to be a gift. And so in Genesis 2, we're told that God finished his work and he rested. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's reiterated twice here. God finished, and he rested from his work. And as the story of God's people develop, we come to Exodus. God rescues the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. He makes a covenant with them to form them as his people. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And in doing so, he gives them the 10 commandments with the pivotal commandment to rest. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Because God created and rested, and you are his people, meant to represent him to all nations, you likewise stop and rest. We see this command come again with a second reading of the Ten Commandments, this time in Deuteronomy. And here the Israelites are preparing to enter the promised land, the place of abundance after 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years of wandering in the desert. But this time, the context of the commandments, including the Sabbath command, is slightly different. Instead of being given in the context of creation, the commandments are framed within this reminder of their God as rescuer of the people from Egypt. 
God declares, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this time, we get the Sabbath commandment this way. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He tells them, remember that place of no rest that I have brought you out of. And not only do I command you to rest, but to give rest to all within your society. In the book, Sabbath as Resistance, saying no to the culture of now, Walter Brueggemann points out that with this Sabbath command, in the context of the exodus from Egypt, God is presenting an alternate social reality. You see, the society under the rule of Pharaoh was one of anxious demand, insatiable production, and restlessness. Work was never finished. This striving for more led to a violent culture that prioritized commodity over neighbor, and it was built to enhance a few at the top of the pyramid, all while being completely driven by fear of not enough. In contrast, God is forming his own people, again, as a representation to all nations. And as he does so, a defining factor is that God's rule is not one of anxious demand, but of rest. Brueggemann says that divine rest on the seventh day of creation has made clear, A, that Yahweh is not a workaholic, B, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation, and C, that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. This performance an exhibit of divine rest, thus characterized the God of creation, creation itself, and the creatures made in the image of the resting God. Creation is to be enacted and embraced without defining anxiety. God is offering his people a new way of life in this command, saying, remember that old system. He says, I've rescued you from it to create a new way. So choose life over death. And Brueggemann goes on to point out that all of the commands point to this new God and others Sabbath rest view of way of viewing reality. He says, you who keep Sabbath do not need to dishonor mother and father to kill to commit adultery, to steal, to bear false witness, to covet. You do not need to because you are able to depart the exploitive system. 
You who engage in production and consumption are not little replicas of anxiety-driven Pharaoh. You are, create, you are in the image of the creator God who did not need to work to get ahead, nor do you. This theme of arresting God, it doesn't end in Exodus. Ultimately, this new way of living, driven by Sabbath rest, instead of anxious production, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus begins his earthly ministry in Luke 4 by standing in the synagogue on Sabbath and declaring liberation. It says he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see the fulfillment an embodiment of true Sabbath rest. You know, I think we often dismiss the idea of Sabbath as time that we simply don't have to take a break or take a nap. Now, let me tell you, I love a good nap. I encourage them. Take a nap this afternoon. Go for it. But as we look at the life of Jesus we see that the Sabbath way of living has an even fuller meaning because Jesus is bringing about God's new creation in which captives are set free, people are healed, and the oppressed are restored. Jesus' Sabbath way of living points to a new reality. It points towards new creation. It is in the context of Sabbath controversy with the Pharisees that we get one of the most kind invitations to rest from Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. With this invitation to be yoked to Jesus, we see yet again this choice being offered. Because a yoke has two sides. I think we have a picture of it. Maybe, maybe not. But it has two sides. Yeah, there we go. In other words, there's no Lone Ranger here. The choice is not Jesus or nothing. We're already yoked to something. And so if it is not Jesus and his way of living, then it's the system of this world which is characterized by the anxiety-driven Pharaoh. So again, I know we're used to thinking of work and rest as two opposites. But this invitation does not mean that we cease working altogether. Rather, it means we are working from a place of rest 
trusting in our creator, loving our neighbor, and not driven by restlessness. You know, this invitation from Jesus is followed by two separate run-ins with the Pharisees on Sabbath. One, where the disciples are caught picking and eating grain, and the second, when Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And yet, instead of getting caught up in this Pharisaic legalism, Jesus simply declares that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And his response is that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, showing us that anywhere God's presence is extended through new creation life is an act of Sabbath rest. Anywhere God's presence is extended through new creation life is an act of Sabbath reality. The Jesus way of living is the true meaning of Sabbath rest. But how do we know if we're really living into it? And the answer is in the text that we read earlier during worship. By the fruit our lives bear. We're not perpetually exhausted, short and ill-tempered, giving in to selfish ambition and unhealthy coping mechanisms. Our lives are characterized by love, joy, peace, and patience. We're living a fruitful life that is not forced by us willing ourselves to be good, moral people. It's a flowing out of us as we walk in step with the Spirit, following his lead. And did you notice the first verse in that chapter, Galatians 5.1? It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've been given a new way of living in freedom and we don't have to submit to the slavery of this world. And yet, for so many of us, that feels so far away. We want to make the choice to live the way of Jesus. It's why we're here. It's why we commit to community. It's why we choose to serve our neighbors. And at the same time, it can feel really overwhelming, like we're constantly falling short. Maybe you think it's too overly simplistic to say there's two ways of living, one that leads to death, trampling over a neighbor, and another that leads to life, restoration, and love of God and neighbor. Because when you put it that way, the choice is pretty obvious. But the reality of living it doesn't always feel that easy. You know, as I described the anxiety-ridden culture of Egypt, it didn't sound too far off from what we're living in, did it? Work harder, climb higher, do more, be more, buy more. It is the same tension we have talked about over the last two weeks. And as much as we want to swim against the current, the truth is a lot of us find ourselves getting swept away in it. And we feel it even stronger right now with things reopening and just the overwhelming pressure to just get back at it. But it's a pressure to return to a pace that we were never meant to live. I love this quote from Peter Scazzaro. He says, you can't live at warped speed without warping your soul. 
And we're feeling the effects of that, aren't we? As I mentioned earlier, it took all we had to get through the past two years, and I'd say the majority of us still haven't recovered. That's not to mention all of the individual heartache I know we bring into this room. So how do we recover? Okay, it's summer, so maybe you've got a vacation planned. Maybe you're thinking, if I can just get to vacation, then I'll feel better. But have you ever taken the trip and you come back and you're still exhausted or you're even more exhausted than you started, especially if you have young children? We need more than a vacation. We need a rescue plan. And that's exactly what Jesus offers us. He says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and light. All right, so here's the deal. I'm a practical girl, okay? I love theology, and I love concepts. But every time this topic of Sabbath comes up, I'm usually sitting there internally going, uh, yeah, duh, of course I want that. How in the world do I get there? Tell me what it looks like. So maybe that's you. But you know what? Jesus doesn't offer false promises. He knows what we're up against. And he has given us his very spirit to equip us, guide us, and teach us. The problem is we have to learn to walk at the pace of his spirit and not ours. Did you ever notice that Jesus was not rushed? He stepped away. He did not heal everyone. In fact, there must have been countless people he walked past who needed his help in order to get to the ones that he did heal. We're told that crowds of people followed him. And I just have this mental image of Jesus moving around and the crowds are just squeezing in on him like a can of sardines. And as they're pushing in, the pressure for him to react is building. But he doesn't react. He responds. He responds by walking slowly. He stops. He spends intentional time with the people closest to him. He enjoys meals. He got still, he got quiet, and he got with the Father. If we want Jesus to restore our souls, we have to be willing to slow down long enough and get still enough to let him. I know many of you and many people, including myself, get a little squirmy at the idea of taking a Sabbath because a full 24 hours of no working and no producing not only may feel impossible, but it might actually make you a little bit of more anxious, right? <laughs> but what if it's the very thing you need to get your life back? But again, I realize that that feels like a lot. So maybe we don't have to start with the bar quite that high. We can, we can get there. But we also can't afford to go at the same pace that we've been going. So let's at least start small. You know, I've preached in the past on the gift of silence and solitude. And I'll say personally, that has been one of the most life-giving spiritual practices. I'll just take a timer and say, even if it's for two to five minutes, to just sit and be quiet with the Lord. And there are tons of other life-giving 
spiritual practices that you can incorporate into your life. And maybe you found one or two that is giving you life in this season. But a big part of our problem, practically speaking, is that not only are we doing too much, but we're going so fast that we don't even slow down enough to consider if we're doing the right things. Now, I know that struggle too, because I'm the queen of packing the to-do list full, and then I just get to work. I don't even take a second to think twice about it. It's like the train leaves the station and there's no stopping me. Just ask my sweet husband. <laughs> In fact, it's really funny. I'll say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, and uh, what do you think? And he'll be like, well, I can't stop you. <laughs> I'm pretty driven, okay? But that also gets me into trouble. And recently, I was feeling really overwhelmed with all of these things that I had put on myself. I was becoming short, impatient, and again, you can ask my husband, certainly not very loving. And as I was talking through it in therapy, I was telling her about it, and I'm like, you know, I just have so much on my list. The train leaves the station so quickly, I never even stopped to ask, is this something I need to do? And she looked at me, and she laughed, and she goes, you just counseled yourself. <laughs> right? Now, maybe you're a little bit more measured and slow than me. Maybe you're a little bit more disciplined. But just take a minute to think about what is on your list? What are the things that you're carrying? And again, I'm practical, so to help you out, here are three practical questions that we can stop and ask before we just take off. First, is this something I need to do? Now to clarify, need does not mean, will somebody be disappointed if I don't do that? That's people pleasing. But is this something I need to do? Two, Will this contribute to a gentle rhythm of Sabbath rest? And as we ask ourselves and God these two questions, most importantly, we got to stop and ask God, do I get to do this? Because I'll be the first to admit, I tell him all sorts of good ideas of things I think I should do. <laughs> but he knows what your soul needs. He knows what will bring refreshment and he knows what will drain you. And so we've got to pause and ask, God, do I get to do this? I bet we could save ourselves so much exhaustion if we would just simply pause and ask God and ourselves these three questions. Maybe it's time to stop. Maybe it's time to say no. Maybe it's time to live within our God-given limits. Now, aside from practicality, I typically have another bone to pick when it comes to Sabbath rest, at least in the way it's typically taught in a modern sense, because it usually sounds to me like a gift for the privileged, for those who have the means and support to stop and rest. But I work for Step by Step, where we work with young moms in the community, aged 12 to 24. Thank you. <laughs> and these are some of the most hardworking, resilient girls you'll meet. They are busting their tails, going to work, going to school, taking care of their babies, and many of them don't have much support. So how do they get to rest? 
What about those in our community who are unhomed, who are couch hopping, who are literally just trying to survive? What about the parent of a special needs child that requires 24-7 attention and there's no break for them? How are they supposed to rest? If the promise of rest is not true for the least of these, then it is not the gospel. These are the very ones that Jesus came to set free. Jesus is not only Lord of the Sabbath for those with Monday through Friday jobs, paid time off, and vacations. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because Jesus is Lord, and our job as the church of Christ is to live like it now. And that means that we don't simply think of Sabbath as an individual spiritual discipline, but as a community way of living. When God commanded the people to rest, he commanded them to let all rest as you do. And so part of walking in Sabbath rest is working for a more just society in which all get to participate in rest. And so just as Jesus carries our burdens, in Galatians chapter 5, we had the fruit of the Spirit. And in chapter 6, we're told that we are to do likewise. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there might not be much relief or a place to go for a woman in trouble out there. But as the church, we have the opportunity to say, no, not in here. That's not how it's going to be. You belong here. We will come around you. We will love you, and we will support you. There might be those in our community who are looked down upon, who are unseen, who are unheard out there. But in here, there is room for all at the table. We all have equal standing in Christ. There is none of us better than the other, regardless of background and circumstance. We have the opportunity to care for each other in ways that says your rest and your life is not just your problem. It's my problem too, because we are all part of the family of Christ. But you know what? We can't offer what we have not received. Last week, Walt led us in the beautiful old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as he did, tears just streamed down my face. Because so often we just overcomplicate this. We overanalyze it. We never plan a break or try to stop and rest for fear we won't get it right. But as he sang, I just thought, that's it. It's really that simple. So just listen to these lyrics again. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. 
Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. As we close, I'm going to reread the passage from Matthew 11. And this time I'm going to read it from the message version. And as we do, I just invite you comfortably in your seat to close your eyes and take a deep breath with me. And as I read this, I want you to imagine Jesus offering this invitation to you. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, this is not only a theological concept. This is a life saving reality available to every single one of us today. The question is, how will we respond? We're gonna move into a time of communion and prayer. And like I shared, we believe that this table is open to all. And so you are welcome to participate with us today. We have elements here and in the back. We participate, this isn't just a weekly ritual. It's a reminder, a reminder that for all the places that we are not enough, that we get to rest because he is enough. And so as you join us in communion this morning, just remember that you can rest because of what he has done. We can feast at the table because of what Jesus has done. You're invited to take a minute with communion. I'll be available for prayer in the back. If there is any way that we can carry your burdens to the throne of Jesus, we'd be happy to do so.